The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Let's Fix Work is brought to you by WorkHuman, the HR event you don't want to miss. Visit WorkHuman.com and learn more today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. On today's show, I've got Dr. Patty Fletcher. She's a global speaker on gender equity, cultural transformation, and leadership, and the best-selling author of a book called Disruptors, Success Strategies for Women Who Break the Mold. Are you known as a troublemaker? Do you hate the status quo? Well, Patty and I are appearing together on a panel at Work Human, which is a well-being conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And in this conversation, we talk about what it means to be a disruptive influence at work and how it can work to your advantage. So if you're ready to burn bridges or at least shake up your career, sit tight and I'll be right back with Dr. Patty Fletcher and more of Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Patty. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. It's so good to see you again, Lori. I am so happy to be here in Framingham, Massachusetts with you. We are live at the headquarters of Global Force, and it's just a joy to see you in real life. It's so good to see you, too. Well, listen, I know you have a wonderful story and I wouldn't do it justice if I told it. So I wonder if you'd take a moment and share who you are and how you came to be known as someone who fixes work. (laughs) So let's see. So who am I? I grew up in enterprise software. So I tend to view everything in terms of systems, something that I learned along the way. And when I started in enterprise software, I started in the HR line of business. It was back in the late 90s. The Y2K thing was happening, right? Software vendors were just making money left and right because everybody was afraid of what was going to happen when the zeros hit. Wait, wait, we have to tell people what Y2K was because I'm not sure some people would know. Some young listeners. That's right. That's right. That's so funny. That reminds me of another story. So Y2K was when we went from December 31st, 1999 to January 1st, 2000. And the big question, people remember, Lori, people were withdrawing money from the bank because back then it was unclear if the systems would be able to read the zero zero. So would that erase all of our balances? Would we not be able to pay our people? Would our supply chain shut down? It was terrifying for folks. And it was all like a big... Oh, yeah. It turns out it was fine. The VCR still worked. Exactly. The VCR still worked. Oh, that's fantastic. After oh, I put my, my cassette tape in my car. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So you you kind of cut your teeth in enterprise software back in the I day. I did. Yeah. I did. And, and that was really good. I, I have a habit, like most disruptors, of going where I don't belong. I've never had a job I was qualified for, you know, which is is pretty crazy, especially as, as sensitive as I am as a, you know, naturally as a human being. But, you know, why the heck not, right? Jump in with both feet and fail and yeah. fail fast. Fail fabulously. Uh, fail fabulously, yeah. exactly. And so at the time that the focus isn't, wasn't so different as it is now when it comes to HR, it was really CFOs had just gotten a seat at the table. CIOs were kind of up and coming. Marketing and HR were still in the other room, right? They were in the back office. And of course, we know that CMOs have, have really come quite far 
are now as the voice of the market. And so HR was really at this stage at the time where it was, let's replace but replicate what we do manually in our enterprise software system. So that's how I grew up. And it was a great way to grow up because I had to get in front of HR departments, understand who they were, what they did, who they wanted to be. Yeah, right? the aspiration is important. Absolutely. Yeah. And what their life was like day to day. It's very different to talk to someone versus being able to put yourself in their shoes and, and see their pain and see their opportunity. So as you developed your career and you were in enterprise software, eventually you decided that wasn't enough for you. And you've gone on to do some pretty terrific things, including writing a book. So what has the second stage and third stage of your career been like? God, such a good question. And I got to tell you, women in the workforce have done what we claim millennials now do. And that is we change our minds about the impact we want to make on the world. And we understand, and I think you're a great example of that, we understand that one of the things we can do is use our work to be able to do that. And I still see myself as somebody who wants to help leaders change the world. And the scalable approach from an enterprise software perspective is right on, right? The company I worked with, SAP, 76% of the world transactions run on that. So it's a pretty exciting thing to be able to develop new markets at the time e-learning, um, now doing lots of stuff around unconscious bias. And that's super fun, but it wasn't enough. And that's probably, I don't even know if that's the right word, but it wasn't enough for me. So when I was in my 30s, I came to this topic crazy like most people do, this topic being equity in the workplace and harnessing all the best and available talent and disrupting HR. So I came to this topic quite by accident. I have always been obsessed with my grandmother. She was an Armenian genocide refugee, wanted to find out more about her. She raised me for the first few years of my life because my mother was a working mother before working mothers were a thing. Wait, and I think working mothers have always been a thing, though, you know, especially among the non-privileged among yes, us. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> But, you know, at the time, it was, I grew up in a, a very modest town, very working class, but the moms all stayed home. And if they did work, it was like the mom's hours, right? And there was my mom working nine to five. And I was always told, oh, she works because she has to. Oh. And the truth is... No, she yeah. worked because she wanted to, wow. right? She still did all the mom things, the cooking, the cleaning, all that. I remember watching the Saturday morning cartoons and having to lift my feet so she could put the vacuum under, you know, like that kind of thing. Boy, she had two full-time uh, jobs, exactly. that's for sure. Exactly, that's absolutely true. So your grandmother raised you. So my grandmother raised me. And so I wanted to find out more about her. She had passed away years before. And the way that I learned how to research as a business person was not conducive to what I had to do in order to find out about her. So I went back for my PhD. PhD while working full time, while having two little kids and living on an airplane because it seemed convenient. And I wanted to learn how to research like a scholar. And so I was going down this path with my dissertation proposal one year into it. Anybody who's ever done a PhD knows the dissertation proposal is probably more daunting than the actual research because you really just don't know what you're doing. And you're going, please, please say yes. So I was focused in on an entirely different topic, transformational leadership in virtual environments for net new technology. It was something I was focused on at the time. Wow, that couldn't be any nerdier, by the and, way. Oh my God, yeah. I know. And by the way, <laughs> if you had an entire like podcast on that, I'd be all in because I'm yeah. still like so into it, right? That's it's, not my jam. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> so 
nerdy. I know it's so geeky. <laughs> and I still like blush when I, I talk love about it. it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So, so as part of this, I was a year into it. And as part of the PhD program, I had to take a feminist leadership theory class. And I used the word had to purposely. Growing up where I did here in Massachusetts, very conservative family, like I said, very working class, very fear driven. And I was raised to believe that a feminist was men or women, right? Where we want more. And what I found out in that class on that first day was a few different things. The first is that being a feminist is an and, right? It's about men and women, not men or women. The second was that I'm probably the dumbest person in the world because I never realized that I was always the only woman or the first woman. I was so conditioned and so used to it that I never questioned it, right? Growing up in tech, growing up working for a German software company, I thought about I'm the only one who doesn't have a physicist degree. I'm the only American. I'm the only one who's in marketing. I'm the only one who's not a code. So it never occurred to me. And it was really when I started thinking about unconscious bias, I looked around me, I saw that there really weren't, there really wasn't any research that went above the VP level for technology and life sciences, which at the time was the other real tech intensive industry. And of course, all were, were male dominated. So much to the dismay of pretty much everybody around me, I scrapped that year worth of dissertation proposal and did a dissertation on women who hold board of director positions in publicly held life sciences and technology businesses. And what I started seeing from them, right, these common factors associated with how they got to where not only so few women go, but where so few people go. Yeah, that's a very elite club. It's a very elite club. And what I learned from them, and maybe it was because I had the benefit of coming from a systems approach, was what made it possible, right? What made it possible to get these women from where they were? And most of them like Midwest, grew up on farms, didn't go to tier one schools, right? Just kind of like the rest of us. Yeah. And then I thought, wait a minute, am I asking the right question here? Maybe the question is, I'm seeing more and more women. At the time, we were mm, probably about 40-something percent of the workforce. We had, by that time, already more than half of undergrad degrees, more than half of MBAs, a large majority of PhDs. We were 70% of valedictorians in this country. We had so much power, and yet we weren't in power. And I thought, maybe the question needs to be, what is it about the system that makes it possible that people who control 70 to 90% of all consumer buy decisions have such economic power, but are not in the boardroom. They're not reflected. And that was really a a flip of a switch for me when I stopped with the blaming and the shaming and the what the heck's wrong with women, which was really the mindset and quite frankly still is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And instead started going, what's this bias thing? Because nobody's really talking about unconscious bias back then. And how does that inform the system? And that was about 12 years ago. So this book is really 12 years in the making. And truthfully, the first time I read it cover to cover was when it was published. Oh, my goodness. Well, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your book? Because it's been out for a little over a year, correct? No, it, um, just under a year. Oh, just under yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I know. Time's flown It really year, does. Right? My goodness. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about it because I know um, people rave about it in my social network. Wow. And I would love to uh, share the word among our podcast listeners. Well, thanks. So, Thank yeah. you. So the book is about disruption disrupting the system that no longer suits the environment in which it lives. And these women who are in here, so the book really breaks down a lot of the myths that we have, that you have to choose between career and family, that you have to wait until you have experience because women are hired for their experience, whereas men are hired for their potential. So 
there are, I think it's 10 myths that are in this book and they're all supported and explained by research without the rhetoric, right? But then we bring it to life by these women who are just normal and they talk about how they have defined their own success, which is incredibly important because what our unconscious bias tells us, particularly those of us in the business world, is we all want to be CEO or you must want to be a board of director. And the truth is, no, that might not be how I want to make the impact. So that might not be how I define success. And then how is it that I achieved what I wanted to achieve on my own terms? What did I have to disrupt in order to do that? And so these women really bring it to life. And there was a book, obviously, that that so many of us know that brought the topic of gender equity to the mainstream. That was Lean In. And that book came out a few years, obviously, before Disruptors. Disruptors came out in January. And while I so appreciated that topic going to the mainstream, I did not appreciate the message. Yeah, you and Michelle Obama, she just yes. said just today that that shit doesn't work. Literally, those <laughs> words came really? out of the, yeah, those words came out of her mouth. Oh my god! In a very, um, a very informal way. But yes, she literally said it does not work. That shit does not work. And I wonder, can you tell us what you think about uh, Lean In and why it doesn't work for you? Absolutely. And so when when Lean In came out, I had already been studying this topic for so long and had been so influenced by these incredible women, those in the book, those in my dissertation and everybody in between who have really achieved this success without going, God, there's something wrong with me. Oh, I better go to that class that's going to teach me how to negotiate like a man or go network like a man or whatever, like a man. Yeah. And, and we put in the like a man because that's who our system is developed around, right? We have systems that are in place that are over a hundred years old, right? They don't suit our world. And so the reason that doesn't work, that shit doesn't work is, is uh, God, there's like one more reason I love that woman. Yeah, amazing. Um, <laughs> is, is that if we leaned in anymore, Lori, seriously, if you leaned anymore, your face would hit the freaking ground. I would break my exactly. face. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Right? I'm leaning in that's, hard and it doesn't work. I mean, it only works to a certain point. Right. And so, and so that's right. And we all lean in already. So it's really not us. It's the system, that system that is an exclusive versus an inclusive system. And that system that's been in place since the dawn of time, and that system that's supported by how we are all conditioned. And so we, we really have to recognize that there are 150 different unconscious biases that played our brains at any given time, just at work, thousands as we walk around. Lean in is really not questioning those unconscious biases. It's not questioning the system. It's challenging women to quite frankly, be who they're not, which yeah. then forces imposter syndrome and blah, 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 which is why I'm assuming Michelle Obama understands that, of course, the person in the mirror has to adapt and has to push themselves and all that. We already do that, yes. right? If we're high performing, but we don't have to just lean in. We have to disrupt the system that's not only holding women back, but holding men back as well. Men who may have more feminine kinds of traits. Very good insight. You know what? You keep using the word disruptors. It's a word that you've embraced. It's really part of your ethos. And for many individuals, they feel that disruption and disruptors are negative. It's a bad thing. They're troublemakers. They stand in the way of progress. So how are disruptors and disruption a good thing, a positive thing? That is such a good question. So for me, I grew up never feeling like I belonged. 
right? And I think so many folks, when you're young, you think you're the only one, right? And then you grow up and you find your people and you realize you're not alone. Everybody thought that. And so when I look back at how I grew up and where I grew up with wonderful people, I never quite fit the mold. And it was because the system that was in place was very particular. The young boys who played sports and were good at it were the ones who won. And that's just kind of how it was and nobody questioned it. And then you go to business and it's, you have to look this way and do these things. And we see that that stuff, right? Like, you know, back in the day, and I'm not going to mention company names, but you'd be able to go work with a company who it's like perhaps a survey company who would say, okay, this is what a really good salesperson looks like. And that salesperson model tended to be based on the white guy, right? Absolutely. Or the pharmaceutical model where it's the tall, beautiful, lovely woman with the long hair. Yes, exactly. Who could be a flight attendant on any other day. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or you're the executive search firm who is building the board and if your name is John or David, you hold more board seats than all of the women combined, unfortunately, supported by research. So when I look at that, those are our status quos. We don't question them. So for me, how I translate the word disruptor is there is a status quo that's no longer serving the world in which it lives, and we have to disrupt it. And disrupting means you unpack it. What informed it? Some things might still be working. Let's keep those, but let's then disrupt the ones that aren't. And we tend to be able to use data to be able to see that. Data doesn't lie, right? And that's where diversity comes in. And that's all diversity is. Diversity is number counting, right? I have people who look like this, think like this, talk like this. And we know that diversity is more than just gender. It's more than just race. It's also the way in which people work, the way in which people think, the culture, right? All of those kinds of things. And so that to me is disruption. And absolutely, there's negative disruption. I think we can all see that. I personally believe negative disruption is just part of the path to get to personal disruption. We just might not like the timeline. And also the other thing about disruption is when you are disrupting a status quo, a system in which someone is successful, they're going to come at you, right? Oh yeah. Tell me about that. Because when someone feels threatened, especially in corporate America, like all bets are off and there's a real repercussion for that. And if you're someone who needs to pay their mortgage and has financial obligations, but you're also a disruptor, how do you make sure that you protect your own interests while disrupting in a healthy way? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'm not sure many will like my answer. If you cannot be successful in the system, the environment in which you are, it's time to not leave your job without having a new one, but look for a place where your talent, your skills, where you can align your passion with your profession. I was last week, I'm totally name dropping, Laurie. So just please, yeah. that's what this show is yeah. all about. Right, right yeah, on. I just okay. dropped name dropped Michelle yeah. Obama. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. like I was there. <laughs> I know. She probably called you she first. She did. Yeah. Of course she did. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so last week I had the great honor honor of being invited to the National Academy of Science to work with NASA on the future of innovation at NASA. And it was one of the highlights of my life. I'm a geek and I absolutely loved it. Other girls I grew up with dreamed about their wedding dresses and their wedding, something I never really cared about. I dreamed about NASA in the White House. And so it was really, really exciting. 
And they had a few external experts there. And NASA's going through its own thing. And, and it was kind of cool to be there right after Insight, right after, yeah, I know the Mars thing. But there was also SpaceX there and a few of the other companies that are leveraging NASA technology, but they're really getting all the fun. The millennials love them because there's a rocket launching every other week. And so NASA's really going through this okay, what do we do next, right? They work on the hard stuff. They always want to be innovative. So it was fun being there. And it was interesting because you think about when it comes to the future of innovation with an organization like NASA who does unprecedented work, there is no path before them. I really was worried, like, what the heck is a person who focuses on the future of work and the future of leadership and all things people and disrupting HR and all that stuff? What could I bring to the table here, right? I'm not an astrophysicist. And so it was interesting because we didn't really talk about tools. We didn't really talk about the more science. We talked about the people piece, which I found interesting. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this discussion going back and forth. And someone at NASA said, you know, if you ever find yourself working for a boss who's not totally in love with your work and your capability and what you can not only bring to the table today, but what you could bring tomorrow, you need to go find a new boss. Wow, that's really beautiful and surprising from a government agency. Uh-huh. <laughs> NASA, I think, is kind of this, and it's interesting. It's not just NASA. It's like NASA's multiple centers. Sure, right? they're, yeah. all, they're all very fascinating. But yeah, let's talk about a bubble, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I love the level of EQ it would take for someone in the sciences to say something like that. That's shocked. really, yeah, that's lovely. But it's true, right? And, it is. And you and I see the same data. We know that people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. And not just the bad bosses, which, you know, some of us have had, but also the bosses who aren't enabled to be able to look at your potential and be able to feed that because for whatever reason, the system doesn't support that. And that's a challenge we have when we work in a one-size-fits-all kind of world, knowing that one size doesn't fit all and it can't. It probably never has. It's just been tolerated for so long. Well, those are some great anecdotes, Patty. Listen, why don't you stick around and after the break, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about unconscious bias and we'll unpack that. We'll learn about some of the myths that are with in your book and we'll learn about how if we want to be disruptors, we can position ourselves in the future to be successful at work. So everybody sit tight. We'll be right back with more Dr. Patty Fletcher and Let's Fix Work. Hey everybody, Lori Rudiman here. I'm excited to be back at Work Human this year with keynote speakers like Brene Brown and Gary Hamill. Work Human brings together visionaries, thought leaders, and industry experts to share the latest research and ideas about the most compelling workplace issues. Do you work in HR? Are you a leader of teams? Do you wonder how to align your executive strategy with your people strategy? Well, join me at Work Human March 18th through 21st in Nashville, Tennessee. Visit workhuman.com and use code WORKHUMANLFW for a $100 discount. That's workhuman.com and use code WORKHUMANLFW for a $100 discount. And remember, head on over to workhuman.com and use that code WORKHUMANLFW for a $100 discount today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman, and I'm here today with Dr. Patty Fletcher. Patty, how you doing? I am great, Lori. I am uh, just thrilled again to be in the same room with you. It's always a joy and just a privilege to see you. And I wish we had some better weather in Boston. It's a little chilly. You know, my North Carolina blood is a little thin, but I'll take it. It's not snowing. Yeah, and I wish people could see the necklace you're wearing, because that's what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, Target. Oh, stop. Target, 1999. Wow. Yeah. I'll post a picture in the show notes. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> 
Well, I'm so happy to have you here today because, you know, disruption is something that's close to my heart because throughout my entire life, I've been called either a disruptor or a shit disturber. That is how (laughs) I've been referred to. So I would love to hear stories about people who didn't belong and found purpose and meaning elsewhere. Can you talk to that a little oh, bit? Lori, I love this question. It is such a good question. And I wish I was asked it more often. So the, the thing about this book, Disruptors, absolutely, it breaks down the system that's working against everybody, not just people who self-describe as disruptors. But the real thing is you're not alone. And we all feel we're not alone. And I think when it comes to the topic of HR and fixing work, we have to remember that in order to hire a candidate, you're really hiring a person and people just want to feel that they belong, right? It's so important. So that's really what this book is. There's no one way to success. This is not a TED Talk. (laughs) Thank God. Exactly. (laughs) There's a way. And by the way, your experience, what you bring to the table, not only do you belong with those things? We welcome you with your ideas. We've made room for you and welcome to the tribe, right? So oh, that's, that's so nice. It's God, so finally. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so even for the shit disturbers, yeah, right? there's a place. There's a place. <laughs> exactly. So the thing about disruption, it's un- it's ultimately transformational leadership, right? You see a status quo, you want to blow it up, and you know the leader part of transformation, which is critical for every disruptor, is that nobody gets to the finish line alone nobody, right? Even though we see those lone rangers out there, those Mark Zuckerbergs and Bill Gates and and Steve Jobs. Or even the Tony Robbins or the Gary Vaynerchuks who are out there saying, hustle harder, hustle more, and you're going to succeed. You're right. I mean, you don't get through life alone. Why would you get through your business endeavors alone? Exactly. And brick buildings don't do business with brick buildings, right? People do business with people. And that's just, oh God, I hear that. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's just (laughs) such great man theory. I know. I know. But you have lovely examples in your book of women who have done it and done it well. So talk a little bit about that. And included others, right? So one of my favorite stories, Anyala Jessariah, which I'm probably butchering her name, which is so embarrassing because she and I have been friends for like 15 years. I love this story. So Anyala grew up in Sri Lanka. She came from a royal family. I think she's a princess. And she grew up having to look a certain way, to act a certain way. Always people looking at her family. Optics meant everything. You had to be pretty enough and thin enough and well-dressed enough. And here she was, this intellectual, right? Just did not fit into the world that her family wanted her to fit into. They loved her and all of that, but I'm sure it was pretty scary for them. She came to the U.S. and she earned, let's see, a PhD, an MD, an MBA, Harvard, Oxford, right? Very, very educated. And so her last degree was an MD from Harvard. And as you can imagine, those are pretty coveted seats. Uh Absolutely. Absolutely. And this was, I think, like late 70s, early 80s. And she had this idea right fresh out of finishing her fellowship, or I can't remember what that's called, the intern, whatever that thing is when you get your MD and you've practiced. I want to say residency. Thank you. Yeah, but I Thank wasn't you. sure that was right. Nope, that is absolutely <laughs> I correct. I have no doctors in my family. <laughs> my peasant family doesn't have that. <laughs> that's so funny. And like my daughter will tell you, my kind of doctor doesn't actually help people, nor does it come with a prescription pad. Yes. So, right? So I didn't have to do that. But yes, yes, that's exactly right. So she had gone through all of that mm-hmm. and having done her MBA, she just looked at 
the world very differently. And she saw this potential for an intersection between the medical world and the business world. And she didn't really fit 100% into either of those. So she decided to bring them together. And everyone around her turned against her. She lost friends. She had people not talking to her to this day. They don't because that was just something you didn't do. And she had to create a world in which she belonged because there wasn't a world for her to belong. And it was tough. We look back on it now and it's beautiful and it's amazing. But like she says in the book, it sucked. Yeah. I can't (laughs) imagine how lonely that is when you've been abandoned by people who are important to you and you've worked so hard to accomplish what you've accomplished. So when she started to create a new life for herself, you mentioned that the women in the book bring people along with them. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So it really is going and finding your tribe. And Seth Godin did a great job writing the book, right, about tribes, but he really saw it as more of an affinity group. Women define it very differently. We define it as people who, you know, they could be doing other stuff, right? Other industries, other types of jobs, but they want the same kind of thing. They tend to be at the same point in their career, but we also have people who support us from a personal perspective, depending on what that looks like. So what she was able to do was, especially on the business side, to go and talk to people who had money, to talk to investors, to understand venture. And what she found, of course, was that venture was very male, right? You had to present this way and talk this way. And so she just really socialized her way in and and got to understand the folks she was meeting, what was important to them, what influenced them, use that as a starting point for them to be able to see what she saw. I mean, it was beautiful because you're asking people to part with their money. You're asking them to think about opportunity in a totally different way. It's sneaky and it's clever and it's a little subversive. So yeah, it's very (laughs) disruptive, but without being aggressive, without being violent. And I think that's what people hear when they hear the word disruption. They think of riots in the streets, like maybe Paris 2018 or Paris during the French Revolution, right? That's what they fear with disruption. And disruption can just be, um, it can be subtle, can't it? It can be subtle until it's not, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? And I think yeah. the word violent is such a good word to use for this. And disruption doesn't have to be revolutionary. To your point, it can feel evolutionary, right? Oh, yeah. And so, and I have asked her, you know, have you gone back? Have you made friends? And she said some still don't because they're kind of disgusted with her and that she took up space still, which is interesting. So she went out, she found people who she could empathize with. And it was really interesting what you said. It's kind of sneaky. It's kind of this, but I think that's how women use empathy or leverage empathy. Women who are disruptors, because we understand we have to meet people where they are in order to get them to where we need them to be. You can't do that unless you understand what motivates them, who their friends are, right? All of those things. You know, Patty, you just described a woman who's a disruptor and she's working on her own terms and she's trying to figure things out. And I think we give a lot of grace to men who are disruptors, but your story of your friend reminds me that women are treated so differently. So I wonder, as you have explored unconscious bias, have we evolved over the past 20 years in terms of business? Are we giving more grace to women? Are we holding men accountable for being disruptive and not necessarily productive? What's the state of business today with disruption and unconscious? Conscious bias. I wish I had a really good answer oh, for no. you. <laughs> 
I'd say, if anything, we've gone backwards, which is is rather unfortunate. So for women, we are still dinged by both men and women, right, for being too aggressive, too assertive, all the stuff you were probably accused of and still accused of. Why can't she just leave it alone, right? Whereas men are seen as the heroes, right, and, and leading what's right and, and sticking to it no matter what. Unfortunately, the research shows that we're still penalized when it comes to creating change. It's a big problem. We're also still penalized for supporting women, women supporting other women who want to create that change. Men, they're held up on, you know, the shoulders of others when they support a woman. Yeah, they're celebrated as these allies, as if, you know, women haven't been allies to one another for the past, you know, a couple of thousands of years, but men are celebrated when they step into a topic that they should have been addressing 50 or 100 years ago. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting. We have some some recent examples when men show a more human, vulnerable side. So Elon Musk, right, that New York Times article that came out like a month or so ago when he reflected on how hard it's been the last year. He talked very openly about mental illness, which I think is critical and important. He was celebrated. And I know the conversation really went to, but what if we put a woman in there? Right? Oh, absolutely. Could yeah. you imagine? She's not fit to lead any kind of change. You know, she can't do this. She's not up to it. The street, the press, we're all pretty hard. We see what's happening at Facebook. And yes, I do agree. I'm not super happy, right, about the, the data component. But I do see Cheryl Sandberg. And yes, she should be held accountable. And yes, I think there needs to be a change. But she's getting far more scrutiny. I don't disagree. And it seems as if we only elevate women to positions of leadership when a man has totally screwed it up. I think the about Glass Mo- Cliff. Right. I think about Marissa Meyer and even Meg Whitman to some extent. These women come in and it's like, well, we have nothing to lose. We're going to stick a woman in and see if she can save it. So it's a little depressing that the landscape isn't much better. But you have a book full of women who are nailing it, who are killing it and have killed it in their roles. So can you leave us with an example of a woman you think we need to know? know about and how she can inspire us to think about disruption and maybe even unconscious bias in a little bit more of an optimistic way. Absolutely. One of the women that I use multiple times throughout this book, and then she is also highlighted, is a woman named Nicole Sahin, who grew up in the Midwest. She lives here now in Boston, and she is the CEO founder of a company called Globalization Partners, and they created a new market. And essentially what they do, they set up shop in 120-something different countries. So so companies who are in the West who want to go global but don't want to pay the $100,000 and wait the, the year for the hope and prayer that they can hire somebody, go to Globalization Partners who already, you know, has already gone through the compliance. They have the technology. They hire that person. And then that person over a year or so becomes an employee of their client. I love that idea, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Why didn't I think of it? It it's makes so, me so mad. Oh, my God. It's so <laughs> smart. So Nicole's a really good example of what every disruptor does, whether it's Anula or Serbi who she introduced me to, who's in this book, who is a life sciences entrepreneur. Every female disruptor understands that disruption starts with the person in the mirror, right? So we are not saying act more like a man. We are saying what do you have to bring to the table in order to bring this disruption forward? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to continue doing? Are you relational in how you're making decisions? Because that's how women are. We understand the impact on others around us, right? So super important. And the reason I bring up Nicole is I do believe she is the new face of leadership. So she sets up this company, the sixth fastest growing company in the US. They went from zero to 70 million, self-funded by the way, zero to 70 million within just like a 
three-year period. Wow. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're like crazy now. Insane. And insane. She's won probably every entrepreneur award there is. And of course, the media focused in on she had an all-female founding team. Of course they did. But what I love about her leadership is a few things. It's disruptive without being violent in that she has family leave as a mandatory thing to take. After five years, you are put on a three-month sabbatical and you are given money for you, for your family to travel around the world because she's traveled everywhere and she saw how that, that opened her eyes. Wow. Because that's a perk that's unbelievable. It's huge. Yeah. And also she and her team really believe that because they do business globally, it's really hard to fight a war with somebody when you're doing business with them, right? Commerce could be the biggest peacekeeper in the world. And so she has her triple bottom line of absolutely money is important, right? She wants to, to grow her revenue. She gives crazy compensation packages because she believes that people who are working for her, they're just as invested in this business as everybody else, right? So really, really important. They really, they, they get politically active. They have this social impact, this sustainability impact, and they actually grade themselves on those things, which is pretty incredible. The other piece is she understands that you are hiring a person when you bring someone in. And that person brings a lot of different stuff, not just their experience, not just their potential, but everything. And oh, you have to yeah. respect that, wow, right? Wow, that's good. It's good. And so as a result, because one size doesn't fit all, what you might want in terms of how you're compensated, how you experience your, your time at work may be different from what I want. So how do we do that and how do we scale that, right? And she has answers for that. She's amazing. And she ultimately understands that absolutely she's the decision maker. She's the CEO, right? This this is, is what she has to do. But she actively seeks input, and listens to that input. She gives full transparency. She holds people accountable because she enables them to be accountable. It is truly transformational. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's all about disruption, and yet they do it in concert. It is beautiful. What a lovely story. Well, Dr. Patty Fletcher, it's been just a joy to talk to you. Why don't you tell us a couple of things about you? I know you have some speaking engagements. You've got information. Where can we find you? Where are you going to be? If people are curious, what's next for you? Well, one thing that's exciting is that I just wrapped up taping my audiobook. I know. It's very exciting. Um, yep. So it got picked up for an audiobook. Super fun. Absolutely loved it. And in terms of speaking engagements, I'm doing a lot of private stuff, but I'm also doing the She for She. She Conference, which is an organization focused in on helping homeless moms wow. um, here in Boston. That's, That's in January. Yep. I will be going to South by Southwest to talk about how gender equity is not about fixing women and lots of university tour kind of stuff. So, so fun. Good stuff. That's great. Yeah. Well, if people want to find more about you or learn more about your book, where can they go? DrPattyFletcher.com, DrPattyFletcher.com. Of course, on Twitter, PK Fletcher, Instagram, DrPattyFletcher, and Facebook. Book, Dr. Patty Fletcher. Lovely. It was so great to see you. Thanks again for being a guest on Let's Fix Work. Thank you. So great to be here. And everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with more Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody. 2019 is here, and I know you're thinking about building a better life and a better career. If you've been curious about podcasting, I've got some information that can be helpful for you to connect with employees, build a business, improve your brand, make more money, or connect on a deeper level with potential clients. I want to encourage you to apply for Danny Osmond's podcast supercharger course. Who's Danny Osmond? Oh my God, this guy is a lifesaver. I have been through four podcast producers and Danny is helping me clean up 
kick butt in take names with Let's Fix Work. He's super important to me. I've learned a ton about podcast production, and I can't say enough about how great it's been to work with him and learn from him. If you are ready to give up the struggle and create an amazing podcast in the year ahead, then apply today for Danny's live podcast supercharger program. For six weeks from February through March 2019, he's working deeply with just a handful of students who are determined to start a podcast and finally see the results they know they deserve. To find out more about the Podcast Supercharger course and register, go to the Podcast Supercharger link in the show notes. Applications are being reviewed as they come in and spots will fill on a first-come, first-serve basis. So go create an amazing podcast, join Team Podcaster, and hang out with Danny and learn something new in 2019. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show with Dr. Patty Fletcher. We recorded this episode live in Framingham, Massachusetts, home to Globoforce, the awesome underwriters of our show. Visit workhuman.com for more information on the upcoming WorkHuman conference. Let's Fix Work is produced by Emerald City Productions, and special thanks to Danny Osmond and his team for making the show great. Follow me at L Rudiman and Let's Fix Work anywhere you have access to social media, which is really everywhere. And feel free to send feedback and comments to hello at letsfixwork.com. Now that's all for today and I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes. 